Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we've got Tina Tambor with a Craft Report in the Phoenix market who specializes in real estate market data. Uh, I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on the show alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you take consistent action, you will become one. And we know that one of the fastest ways to become a millionaire is to get really good at sales. So if you want to join the 100 plus sales assassins we got across the country right now, Go to salesdisruptors.com and start closing more deals immediately. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to millions of cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And we want to help as many people as we can. The best way to do that is to tell the algorithms that our stuff's good. So we need you. If you haven't yet, please subscribe on YouTube so we can reach more people. You ready? Yeah. All right. So we had you here for the first time a year ago when the interest rates went kind of wonky. Yes. Right? And everyone was kind of freaking out. Mm-hmm. And then we had you on Q4 of last year as well because the interest rates didn't go down anymore. They just kind of <laughs> stuck Yeah, around. they peaked at around 7% in October, and then they kind of hovered in the sixes. Yeah. Right. And then since that time, mm-hmm. a few things have changed. So I remember around this time, I got stuck with a few properties I bought um, prior to June, and I sold two of them at a significant loss and one at a small loss. Now, the way the market responded was different than how we thought it would respond because we thought this market was gonna keep going down, but it didn't. So I sold two of these properties, what I feel like was the bottom of the market, and it kind of turned back around. Mm -hmm. So what have you seen Starting in Q3 of last year into where we are today, which is Q3. Which has been about a year. <laughs> Here we are again. Yeah. <laughs> almost there. Almost uh, at the end of Q3 now. So one of the things that started off, the market started to shift dramatically really right around February. And when I say the market, I mean our market indicators. Mm-hmm. Uh, right around February, March, we started to see weakening in the Cronford Market Index. And the Cronford Market Index, when it starts to go down very quickly, right after March, it started to do that. That's typically a sign to short-term hold investors to not acquire any more properties mm-hmm. and just sell what they have and wait. That's typically the, the sign. Um, that's not what we're seeing right now. So since then, it came down. We went into a brief little baby buyer's market mm-hmm. in the month of December. For a week. Kissed it. <laughs> and then started moving, like bounced, skipped right off of it, and then started rising again. Not in a strong seller's market, but just... Uh, a stabilized market mm-hmm. where the prices started to move up again. So what we've seen is from that peak of price in May, we dropped about 12 to 13 percent overall dollar per square foot wise, wise to uh, 12 percent. That was the drop, and mm-hmm. that's considered a correction. Since then, we are up at eight percent. Yeah. So year over year, right now, if we're just looking at monthly sales dollar per square foot, we're mm-hmm. just about even with August. Yeah. So we're about even. With this time last year. Yes, this time last year. So August yeah. of last year. So, And we're only halfway through August right. at this point. So we've seen a recovery in price. It is not skyrocketing up now mm-hmm. because in the meantime, during that whole time, we saw rates kind of dip below 65 for a bit. But a few things happened with FHA that did also help out the marketplace. First, FHA increased their loan limit to $530,000. Mm-hmm. Um, which put them in another bracket for home sales. They also typically run about a quarter to a half point below conventional rates. They also allow a little more in seller concessions, so buying down the rates was a little bit easier in some cases. And um, I think there was one other thing they did. Those were the main things. They did also come out with a a 40-year loan modification for people who went you know, or struggling with their loans or whatever. But that kind of created a lot of hype, mm-hmm. a lot of calls, even though it wasn't anything to do with people being able to purchase with a 40-year mortgage. But in a way, it was a, a nice bait and switch, if you will, for right. lenders. Well, you got a lot of people talking. <laughs> got a lot of people talking, got FHA noticed. Mm-hmm. So what we've seen is over the year, past year, um, for sales under 600, we've gone from 10% market share FHA to 22 Mm-hmm. So FHA has definitely come out as cash buyers have pulled out. So it's creating this opportunity for 
first-time home buyers and regular people who have been kicked to the curb yeah. um, over the course of the last couple of years. So you you really specialize a lot in the the data, the analytics, mm -hmm. which is absolutely critical, right? It's the reason why the news channels call you, <laughs> right, when they need an opinion. Mm -hmm. You also work with a lot of realtors and present to them. Yeah. What is the feeling right now when you're talking to realtors? Well, um, I'd say there are a lot of mixed feelings mm -hmm. amongst realtors. Um, first of all, there is the realization that the industry as a whole is not doing very well because both supply and demand are below normal. Mm -hmm. Demand is still higher than supply, which is the upward pressure on price. Thank goodness, I guess. So yes. for a seller and buyer, the question whether or not you should buy a home is pretty easy. If you can weather a 7% rate, at least in the short term, um, then you can expect the property value to at least be sustained and, or gradually move up. Mm -hmm. um, so for them, it's they don't see much difference between now and 2018 except the market rate. Right. But for the industry, we had grown to you know, a very large percentage of people in the industry had entered in within the last two to three years to accommodate the large per percentage of mm. closings we were having. So when that buyer activity dropped off and those closings dropped off and no more new listings and all of that, locked in effect, all of those things, mm. um, I mean, just means we're bored. <laughs> They're bored? To, the industry's been kind of bored. No properties to take pictures of, no mm. new listing, very few new listings, lowest new listing count in well over 23 years, you know. Mm. Um, you've got fewer, the fewest sales. I mean, sales volume, um, month over month could be anywhere from 2014 levels to 2009 levels, which are, you know, pretty low considering how many people are in the industry to compete yeah. for those transactions. So on that level, everyone's waiting for the real, for the mortgage rates to loosen up a little bit so that both sellers and buyers get off the fence mm -hmm. together and we just have more stuff to do. That's generally how agents feel. But on the other side, there's this, this one saving grace, if you will, that we don't have foreclosures, we don't mm -hmm. have short sales right now. And saving grace for the industry as a whole, maybe not so much for your wholesalers right. or anything, but there are countries like Australia, Canada, in the UK that do not have long-term fixed rate mortgages. They only have fixed rates for five years. That's yes, unfathomable for me. I know. So what we're seeing in those countries is in complete opposite of what we're experiencing is on top of all of their potential recessions coming in, on top of their inflation, they are now also seeing sellers who are having their loans reset from- They have to do something. Mm -hmm. They have to do something. So that what that creates, and we've discussed this before, if you're going to look for a crash, mm -hmm. you need to have one key factor of a crash for housing, and that is a desperate seller, mm -hmm. and lots of them. Well, and so all the rates are resetting. That is creating desperate sellers in Australia. And not only that, can they not afford their mortgage, but then they're looking at rents. They can't afford those either. So it is a real problem out there. Mm. And so I think the one saving grace we can have here is like Switzerland, like the Netherlands, in some South American countries, we have a long-term fixed mortgage rate that most people have as opposed to 2007 before right. the crash. With adjustable rates. Yeah. It's interesting, though, that the other countries don't have that. Because I know, like, in Southeast Asia, they don't mm -hmm. have it. But I just thought that was kind of like an Asian thing. <laughs> Where I was like, oh, well, we don't borrow, so why would we need mortgages? Right. The Asian countries typically don't like debt, any type of debt. Right. Whatsoever. But Australia, you said UK. Uh-huh, and can. Canada. I mean, so those are all like yeah. from the monarchy. Right, yeah. So in those terms, um, those countries, all three of them are seeing not only the property values come down very quickly, uh -huh. but um, I guess for us in the United States, the reality is at the end of most people's working lives, the most wealth they have is in the home that they live in. Right. It's kind of like their retirement. Mm -hmm. So I guess- it's forced savings. Exactly. So the one saving grace we have right now in the housing market is that that wealth that people have built and accumulated within their mm -hmm. homes, they are not losing. Yeah. They're not losing that. They're not losing their credit. They're, we're not having to go back to all the clients we looked in the eye two or three years ago and sold them homes and say, I'm sorry, now you're short sale. Now mm -hmm. you're foreclosure. We don't have to do that. 
So anybody who lived through the foreclosure crisis is, you know, grateful along those lines. Um, But it also means that for wholesalers, short-term hold investors, it's a lot more work. There's no easy, you know, easy to spot distress. It definitely does feel like a lot more work. Mm -hmm. Wholesaling today in Phoenix requires a lot more effort for a lot less return yes. than it has been in the last few years. Well, and that's because that model usually works in seller's markets, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And our seller market is quite weak right now. Mm-hmm. And you could kind of say, you know, based off of the last three years, it almost looks like balance. It's mm-hmm. 160, 110 as a seller's market. So we're just barely in a seller's market. The, the equivalent, I guess, are similar scenario for wholesalers and flip investors would be 2014 that was Mm -hmm. our last balance market so our monthly closings of properties bought and sold within a six-month period uh, is just about in line with 2014 so if we were to go into a stronger seller market you would start to see more of that and you also have the i buyers have scaled way back i know they're still out there but they're not they had to scale back you know like if there's any, if you guys are listening, right? If you work at one of these giant funds, and you're successfully raising capital, even though your company's losing billions of dollars, like I'm hiring. <laughs> if someone can help me raise a lot of money, even though we're not profitable, like you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It takes a, a true talent <laughs> to do that. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that is I I talk with a lot of realtors who get into these conversations on mm-hmm. LinkedIn and Facebook, and you might, you know, find yourself in a conversation with somebody who is active in Wall Street. So it could be a financial planner, mm-hmm. it could be um, a private investor or you know whatever. And they will bring in all kinds of reasons as to why the US housing prices are supposed to or should be coming down or mm-hmm. why this is not a good time to buy a home. Um, and a lot of the justifications I notice that they use are things that have no impact on our prices. <laughs> For example, what would those be? Multifamily. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of times when financial planners come in and they say, oh, this is a good time to buy a home or it's not a good time to buy a home, they're often looking at like REITs. They might be looking at stock prices for companies that buy homes like, uh, you know, invitation homes or yeah. open door or things like that. Those are horrific indicators. They're, they're not indicators at all, <laughs> frankly. Uh, they yeah. might even look at commercial, you know, also thinking horrific. that commercial leads into residential and it's actually the opposite. Right. Commercial follows residential, right? And or they might be looking at you know Australia or UK. You know, there's all kinds of these justifications for mm-hmm. people saying it's we're next. It's the next one to fall. Um, the only desperate seller we had was Open Door and Offer Pad last yeah. year. And once they got through most of that inventory, they got through a lot of it. You know, it was pretty much over. There is a, there was this one off of uh, Chandler Boulevard and closer to one to one, right? Mm-hmm. It's right next to this shopping center. I always drove next to it when I went to go get my massage. Mm-hmm. And I want to say for like eight or nine months, that open door sign was <laughs> right there. <laughs> it's crazy to me. Like, how have they not gotten rid of this property? So they finally mm-hmm. finally got rid of it. But they got, finally got through all of their their inventory. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they're a little battle-tested. Yes. And um, the thing is, is that you can't use things like Multifamily developments, apartment complexes, anything like that is not a precursor for single-family mm-hmm. home property values. Um, commercial having problems, not a precursor for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, stock prices for Open Door, Dior Horton, Invitation Homes, whoever, is not a indicator of future prices. It's already an indicator of their decisions during the past downturn right. of prices. Right. So that's past performance, not future. And, uh, you know, other countries are just other countries. I, I think that there's a bit of indicator overload mm-hmm. for a lot of people. So what are the indicators we should be paying attention to? Actually, strictly supply and demand. That's what we do. We, mm-hmm. You need to know the history of your, of your city, for one. You need to know what are we normally for this time of year. So that's why we use our Cromford Market Indexes. So we have our Supply Index, our Demand Index, and the Combined Market mm-hmm. Index. And right now... Uh, the market index has been flat for two and a half months. And that's important for short-term hold investors to watch because if it does come down, like we said before, you just stop acquiring and Mm -hmm. you wait and you sell what you have. But right now it's just steady as she goes, but it's not a strong seller's market. So that's the thing about flip investing. 
is that it really only works in a seller's market. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a weak seller market, then you can't depend on that appreciation rate to fix your mistakes. So, <laughs> so you have to make sure you have a big gap, a big, you know, so I would disagree in that little forgiveness bit. section. Yeah. So, cause I started right back in 07 and I got to kind of witness how these guys operated back in the day. Mm-hmm. So if it was a buyer's market, it wasn't that you couldn't do it. It's just, you needed a much larger margin. That's right. Right. So if you're going to buy today at like 75, mm-hmm. 70, 75% in 07 through 09, when I thought wholesaling was just bad, mm-hmm. these guys were buying like 45, 50% of market value. So it still made sense. Yeah. You have to wait till the sellers lose all their hope though. So it's probably the, you know, late well, 2008 maybe. Oh, but that's the um, buyer's market, right? Like in a buyer's market where you're seeing like this neighbor's sign go mm-hmm. in a yard, this one's letting his house go to foreclosure. That guy's letting his house go to foreclosure. It's like, I might as well something. The foreclosures started to increase in 2007. Yeah. And, and they ended up peaking right around 2010. Yeah. Um, I mean, right I remember around. showing houses in Santan Valley. And like, it wasn't like how many houses had signs in the yard. It was how many houses didn't have signs in the yard. Yeah. The irony is this, that that buyer market was over by 2009. Uh-huh. So the thing is the time to get into flip when the flips really started to, to profit uh-huh. wasn't during the buyer's market. Uh-huh. Those were very difficult flips. You had to really know what you were doing uh-huh. and you had to have a very good gauge of how much month over month those prices were going to drop. And that oh, yeah. was a very difficult thing to do. Um, what they ended up doing, which was the best thing to do is rent them out and wait it out. Uh-huh. But Come the 2009-2010, first-time homebuyer credit came in. We actually went into a little baby seller market. Mm-hmm. Then the ex- then expired. We went into another little, <laughs> little dip there. Nothing too terrible. But 2011, if you had just tracked all of your acquisitions and your sales based on the Cromfer Market Index, you would have found yourself acquiring at the beginning of a seller market, at the beginning of an appreciation mm-hmm. thing, and selling right before it. Uh, peaks and goes down. So we've we tracked this over the last 23 years. Yeah. And it does work. And so what we can say is that right now the Cromfer market index is in a weak seller market, which typically is indicative of maybe a 5 to 8% annual return from last year. We're probably going to start seeing that hit right around November, mm-hmm. December, but it's not strong, meaning that you know, when I say you still have to be smart about it, still have to be smart about it like mm-hmm. you can't just throw dumb money out there and hope that oh well we're appreciating so if i make any mistakes i you yeah. know, can make it up you actually have to pay attention on the flip you do you actually have to negotiate way as low as you can mm-hmm. of course um it's a different completely different environment because just a couple of years ago that was not necessarily a, the hugest concern yeah you know can you speak speak on the flip activity and guys you know that you're watching like we're speaking in phoenix Yes. We're not speaking nationwide. We're speaking in Phoenix. Only greater Phoenix. Right. Yes. Which, from what we've seen as well, it's kind of an indicator for the rest of the country. Whatever happens in Phoenix and California, it just kind of <laughs> flows east. You know, I'm not sure if we're going to be the, the canary in the coal mine like no. that going forward, um, mainly because we have really diversified our economy now. Mm-hmm. And we are still continuing to grow in areas that could cause our our wage growth to grow faster than the country, especially in, do you know we're going to be building spaceships in Mesa? <laughs> like I just figured that no, out. No, I didn't know <laughs> like, that. That's we've cool. got a ton of jobs. There's actually a wonderful article that was um, based on Arizona Commerce Authority data mm-hmm. of the fiscal year 2023 growth in terms of companies coming here, expanding or moving into our area. And it was all high-tech manufacturing Batteries, semiconductor. Yeah, I mean suppliers. they're they're going crazy with with TSMC. No yeah, Phoenix. they get the biggest. They get all of the eyes on them. But the, the interesting thing is, it's not all about them. Like there is a lot more happening. Well, they're the leader, but every mm-hmm. once you've got that guy there, it's mm-hmm. kind of like when you're, when when we saw this expansion back in the day, right? Like, oh, there's a Starbucks going up and there's a Walmart going up. Like, they're developing this area. I know. Apparently, there's a Costco <laughs> going up in Buckeye. Everyone's okay. super excited about that. Like, yeah, it's a great. Oh. It's Apparently, a leading indicator. Home prices must be going up there pretty <laughs> yeah. soon. <laughs> well, we know that people are investing there. So we know that. Yes, yes. Well, you know, here's the interesting thing is that there are a lot of these undercurrents mm-hmm. that 
as an analyst, I can't always see them. That's why I have to have conversations with people like you, have conversations with lenders and realtors. And you find out all these little undercurrents that might be Mm -hmm. happening. First of all, Buckeye is now out of a balanced market back into seller's market. Really? Mm -hmm. Buckeye. Buckeye actually has a very good number of contracts going on every single week. Interesting. Yeah. And so, or yeah, week. So the thing is that one of the downsides to Buckeye is Mm -hmm. that they've gotten a lot of bad press about water, right? Um, However, Buckeye is also in a census tract that is eligible for federal grants to help people get into homes. Mm. And so builders can take advantage of that. And because they have a lot of new construction, they have um, a little more inventory, they have more opportunities to sell and, and, and utilize those grant programs. Well, Buckeye, Buckeye took it squarely in the jaw. Cause I remember like mm-hmm. last year when things started going down, I was like, I don't care. We're still buying. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. We're still buying. And it's like, okay, we got to deal on Buckeye. It's like, not Buckeye. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Buckeye was, and that's the thing with the outskirts is the outskirts of town. They're the first ones to go into buyer's markets, the last ones to come out. Right. So to see Buckeye actually come out finally. It's a positive sign for the rest of the Phoenix. A little bit, although we're still seeing a little bit of, you know, in and out of, in Queen Creek and mm. town of Maricopa and Casa Grande, those, those areas. Um, Maricopa popped back into balance. Uh, Casa Grande is moved into balance actually, mm-hmm. and but Queen Creek House really back okay. came out of seller's market too. But those are the only three, and there are no buyer markets in our valley at yeah. all. So Buckeye coming out, and another little town to keep an eye out is Waddell. And yeah. again, it's new home construction, it's also the planned infrastructure um, for freeways, uh, improved roads all these things that really help for long-term investing, not necessarily mm. short-term, but for right. long-term investing, you can get in early on some of these areas and hold and ride it. If you so will. let's talk about the, what you're seeing as far as flippers goes, right? Mm-hmm. So did you see a trend starting in June of last year to August of this year, as far as flip activity in the Phoenix market? Absolutely. Uh, June of last year, flip activity dropped 60%. I'm probably 66 percent in one month easily no from the peak mm-hmm. of your activity which would be right around may mm-hmm. where all the i buyers all in there remember mm-hmm. and all the way down to about now which would be uh by the beginning of this year so it yeah. was a straight down drop off in successful flips and so when i'm looking at that report there are a couple of things that happen it's not that People weren't buying with the intention of flipping. It mm-hmm. could just be that they were buying and finding that it takes longer than six months. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I increase my days, you get a few more. But for the most part, when we see that six-month range that we look like for short look at for short-term holds, it dropped right away to what we would expect for a balanced market. Mm-hmm. It went from high root there and high then to a balanced market to a balanced market area. So we went from about fifteen hundred. Flips, successful flips, meaning that you've held them for six months or less. 1,500 over the course of six months in one month? or One month. So our peak month was 1,500 sales mm. where those sales had only been held for six months okay. or less. Got it. And now we're looking at about 400 okay. a month. I see. And so that's, that's a pretty steep drop off. And when you look at it historically, that's where we were in 2014. And in 2015, 16, 18 through 19, you started to see that flip activity increase. Remember, Open Door came into our lives mm-hmm. around 2015. Offer Pad was 2016. Zillow came in, uh, joined the party, I think. I want to say Zillow came in 2020? I want to say 18, okay. 19, but yeah, it, it was sometime yeah. around there, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, you know what, it might have been 2019, because yeah. remember they had that horrific one where they, they got scammed that guy just by the way got do you remember the scam oh wait which one so well we'll just digress briefly zillow when they first started doing flipping and doing the online Mm -hmm. offers they had an imposter so there was a home that had gone into probate but he passed away and somebody assumed that guy's identity online and they went to zillow asked for an offer zillow said fine and they the whole thing was practically virtual and he sold that home and he didn't own it and turned out that they ended up cleaning the home out had all of the family heirlooms were gone the daughter found out and uh 
yeah, it was, needless to say, it was a big deal. The only saving grace they had to catch the guy was that in California, they have a, you have to have everything notarized with a fingerprint. Oh. So they got a fingerprint of the guy who signed, and they found him, and they just convicted him. <laughs> and wow. so that was Zillow's foray into, you know, <laughs> welcome to the real estate, I mean, right? And th that's real estate. This happens to new investors. They buy yeah. properties that aren't really owned by this. They go under contract. We've done it. We've gone under contract yeah. with homeowners mm -hmm. that weren't really the homeowners. Yeah. And title's yeah. like, hey, um, who's this person? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of it happening in land now, too. Where yes. People are it's even worse than land. Yeah, absolutely. There's like, yeah, just because they're criminals doesn't mean they're dumb. So yeah. they're very smart. Yeah. And it's it's a constant. And, and the more you try to, as Open Door was mm -hmm. trying and Zillow was trying, the more you try to eliminate the the safety gaps, right, that have been placed yeah, in the real safeguards. estate. The safeguards, yeah. yeah. The more you try to eliminate eliminate that to streamline or make it faster and more convenient, the more risk you open up to fraudulent activity. Right. So, um, and they've dealt with that, of course, sure. many times. But back to where we were, 2015 through 2019, mm. we saw that activity more and more flips happening on the, on a monthly basis. And uh, really went crazy right after COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That's when all the iBuyers got well, drunk, if you right. will. Drunk well, on Wall Street money. So, I mean, there was a lot of money to be spent. So we saw activity go from 1500 a month to about 400 a month mm -hmm. in December. Where is it sitting right now and through 2023? Same place. Same. So it hasn't gone up. No, it hasn't gone up. Um, which just basically means like, just like everybody else, the wholesalers are competing for fewer transactions mm. that will qualify for their criteria that mm. they need to make money. So there's a heavy amount of competition, not only in fix and flips and short-term holds like wholesaling, but also with realtors competing yeah. for those listings. Well, I can say like, that's one of the things that's frustrating for me as a wholesaler, right? Mm -hmm. Is like the market is for all intents and purposes, normal. Mm -hmm. It's the new normal. It's not like it was a couple of years ago, right? but it's stabilized. Mm -hmm. At least it feels that way to me. Well, right now it is a bit, it's a little boring. Boring, <laughs> which is stable. That's right. right. And but, it's a blessing in some cases. So for a buyer, they're not getting all their closing costs paid for, and they're not necessarily getting a below asking price. They can, mm -hmm. but that's not, no longer a necessity. Whereas this time last year, it was, you had to go below market and you mm -hmm. had to give concessions. Right. Well, okay. So there, there are still concessions. As long as our rates are mm -hmm. as high as they are, you are going to have two one buy downs, mm -hmm. three two one buy downs right. in our lives. Um, right. I would say, in, as long as the rates are over six percent, you're probably going to have that. And as long sure. as we have equity in homes that, it, but what I mean is, buyers and sellers are playing ball. They are. It's not a buyer's market. So, right. The frustration for me as a whole, as a wholesaler mm -hmm. is that the flippers are still underwriting deals like the world is falling apart. <laughs> but the reality is we live in a boring market, mm -hmm. which is actually something I prefer because a boring market is a predictable market. Yeah. You can make decisions mm -hmm. that are reliable. Right, yeah. And so for us, we have to take down more deals. I'm borrowing more money just to wholesale these deals because the flippers are playing scared. They're playing scared like... They're just they're assuming they're they're betting. Yeah, they're buying deals based off the market going down. Okay, so they're being very, very, very conservative. extremely conservative. Yes. Okay, I can see that absolutely. Well, there's a lot of let's face it, there are a lot of opinions online. Sure. And you know, a lot of YouTubers out there. You're probably one of them. <laughs> I am one of them. I am one of them, but I'm not. I'm not screaming the sky is falling. No, I'm no, not no. the most optimistic. But well, I mean, unless you scream the sky is falling, you're not going to get the views right the eyeballs. yeah you won't get the eyeballs you won't get the comments telling mm. you how crazy you are right you know all that stuff uh but there's been a lot of apocalyptic and there still mm. happens to be that too like there's still a lot of people out there that pull down stats and mm. say because of this 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 and this you shouldn't buy a home today mm. um many of them i find are financial planners which i just assume <laughs> you don't get paid on if i buy a house and i don't buy a stock you don't get paid so i'm gonna yeah i can understand why you want me to buy a house for me are, are very quickly going down the, the ladder of trustworthy industries <laughs> yeah. but you know well it's really interesting to see the content that's put out there mm -hmm. actually so uh there are another you know another angle that people are coming in from is the struggle of the short-term rental 
industry as yeah, well. Yeah, speak on that. Because like, I'm not paying attention to it. Honestly, mm -hmm. the reason why I don't have so many Airbnbs is because you scared the crap out of me many, many years ago <laughs> in one of our masterminds. <laughs> so I just never bought an Airbnb, right? I probably left a lot of money on the table. Probably. But right have, now, I'm feeling right. pretty good about myself. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> because you said once things go up down, it's going to hurt real bad. Yes, that's true. You don't want to have a house that you cannot have vacant. Right. You know, for like a month if, or if three months. If you can't cash flow it on a regular rental, it's a riskier play. That's right. So what is going on at Airbnb? Why is everyone freaking out? Well, I, I don't think they're freaking out across the country. They I, are here. They are here because we did get quite saturated. I think what happened, and just for the record, I do not have data for hmm. Airbnb. All right. Or VRBO. Huh? This is anecdotal. Yeah. Well, it's a little, well, and reasonable expectations, yeah. but it's, I look at AirDNA. That's mm. the, and I don't pay for it, so I don't have all of the information. But I, what I look for is vacancy rates, you mm. know, or occupancy rates. And I can say that the occupancy rates in the greater Phoenix area, in popular areas like Scottsdale, Paradise Valley, Phoenix, have been lower than their competing neighbors in areas like, say, California. You know, so California occupancy rates have been better. So what's a, what's a good occupancy rate just for comparison's sake? Um, for the year and average for the year, um, 77%, you mm -hmm. know, I'd say anything over 70% is good. We have been in the sixties and low sixties in mm -hmm. some cases. Um, in some areas, it depends on where, what you're competing or uh, comparing to. So mm -hmm. say for instance, surprise has a very good occupancy rate in the seventies, but they used to be 80 or 90 percentile, right? So you're seeing, uh, Who was doing Airbnbs and surprise? Uh, people going to see their parents, I suppose. I mean, but you know, surprise is close to where the Super Bowl was, if you remember. That's true. So this year we had the Super Bowl, and this is what happened. I believe people bought Airbnbs with the expectation that there will be a lot of demand because of the Super Bowl and golf and cars and horses and baseball, all mm -hmm. of that stuff, yeah. all in the spring. But specifically the Super Bowl, like they, they were buying properties surrounding the stadium for it's sure like a long, good long-term plan um well if it depends on the price they paid <laughs> but what happened what they didn't expect was the number of pop-up airbnbs that came out of nowhere mm -hmm. that nobody expected to see so for example now we're going to get into an anecdotal story mm -hmm. my niece who is 27 years old had a number of her friends secretly airbnb their apartments out and made like five grand in a weekend. Mm -hmm. And they undercut a lot of the people had, who had gone out and bought homes with the expectation that they were going to make way more than that. Mm -hmm. And uh, they got, you know, a flood of excess supply from these, you know, onesie, twosie, weekender, mm -hmm. you know, uh, tenants that yeah. decided to make a little extra money. And I think what happened was that their expectation for, occupancy was was dashed yeah and so what we've seen in long-term 12-month leases now is a switch over right after the super bowl was over we saw a very sharp increase in areas like scottsdale for 12-month leases available in the mls yeah and it started off in scottsdale and then it bled eventually into the rest of the area so we, you've got the same spikes going on in southeast valley um and in parts of the West Valley as well. Yeah. It just never made a lot of sense to me to have an Airbnb in like regular areas, like mm -hmm. on the golf course, on the lake, <laughs> right? Walking distance yeah. to some landmark makes a lot of sense to me, right? Right, yeah. Walking distance to, um, what, what's Kierlin's, or but Kierlin's, like walking distance to Kierlin's, right? Like mm -hmm. that makes sense to me. Right, yeah. But in a regular neighborhood, just never. Uh, well, there's there are all these different again the Airbnb or short I hate to call it the Airbnb market because mm -hmm. it's a company. short term rental market. The short term rental market has a lot of different mm -hmm. um, places you could specialize in. Yeah. You know, you've got the thirty day rentals, you've got the nurses, you've got we well, got the midterm rentals and this and that. Yeah, you've got all that stuff. You got furnished. So but generally speaking, though, the some people are of the opinion that because the short term rental market in Phoenix was a disappointment that we're gonna see this flood of people selling their short-term rentals mm -hmm. and that's gonna cause prices to come down. So I did have a conversation with a friend in the last seven days who last, in the last 12 months has bought 16 properties to be Airbnbs or short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. 
and he's losing money on all 16. Oh, when did he buy? I guess sometime in the last 12 months. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. In the last year, I can see that. I was like, and he's, when I say losing money, not as far as what he bought it and what he's selling it for, but what he can rent it for now as a mid to long-term rental, mm-hmm. it's like a third of his mortgage because he was buying them, underwriting them mm-hmm. at short-term rentals. Yes. And that is, that brings us to why we had predicted years ago that in areas like Scottsdale and tourist popular areas, you were going to start seeing homes valued not based on what a normal person would pay for it mm-hmm. or rent it for, but mm-hmm. what the ROI on a tourist would have been. Right. And that is, again, as we've talked about over and over again, the shortest hold, whether you're holding it to buy and sell or whether you're holding it short-term on a lease basis, that is the riskiest form. And if you cannot purchase it at a price that allows you to go 12 months and still at least break even on it, that's going to create some stress. And not everybody was picking up on the fact mm. that a lot of the appreciation that was happening in the luxury market was based off of ROI. Right. Well, and that's like I said, that's what you said in one of our masterminds. Like, yeah. okay, so there's a lot of risk here. I don't have to worry about this. I'm not, I'm not going to mm-hmm. focus on this. I'm going to do something else. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you did. But I mean, I know you probably could have made a ton, but again, that comes at a cost. And the the key piece would have been for you to sell that <laughs> before. Every, but you, nobody ever, not everybody gets that timing perfect. We always, we tend to hold things for too long. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. We could go one more month. Uh, but but overall, there's a the there's a fault mm-hmm. in the theory that the short term rentals market's going to bring down everybody else's values. Oh yeah, um, that, that's there's not enough supply of those. In order it's to only going to yeah, it's only going to be the excess supply. Yeah. It's not going to be the basis, the the core yeah. market. So we were talking about the flipping data. So the flipping is pretty consistent, about four hundred a month mm-hmm. between December until today. Yeah, ish. Okay, yeah. the eye buyers. Yeah. So I coach a lot of wholesalers, flippers across the country, mm-hmm. and one of the great benefits to me in being a coach for them is I get to hear the objections. I get okay. to hear what the conversations are like in the living room. Mm-hmm. And what now we're seeing in the last couple of weeks is a pickup of, hey, they're comparing us against open door again. Mm. It's like, oh, looks like these guys are having at least one last hurrah if, or if they're not <laughs> coming back. Um, well, and I don't know exactly because I don't get, I'm not privy like, like you are to yeah. what their offers are. All they're I, not great offers. They're actually right. not stupid offers anymore. This is how I would qualify. They're no longer mm-hmm. stupid offers. Right. Right. They're beating our wholesale offers by 4 to 5%, which makes sense if you're borrowing it from some teacher's fund. It's basically cash, mm-hmm. right? So, and you don't have to pay a realtor and you do, like, their numbers actually, their underwriting actually makes sense now. Mm-hmm. So, if you're only beating, if you're beating a wholesale offer by 5%, and it doesn't cost you anything to borrow, that number sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Um, but how many are they winning? And that's the thing. See, mm-hmm. I, the way wholesalers work, they're kind of a, a shadow mm-hmm. activity. I don't get to see them because there's no recorded document that shows their activity. I don't know. I mean, like, I was actually kind of shocked yesterday mm-hmm. when I was going through public records. Our wholesale company is all over public records which it really shouldn't be. I'm wondering why that is. So, um, well, is there, it has to have, there has got to be a document that's filed. So there's some memorandums out there. Okay. So memorandums, <laughs> but those are also, clouds though. Those memorandums, there was releases, there were some warranty deeds, mm-hmm. but I just didn't expect to see like pages <laughs> of our wholesale company. So I got to go figure out why that is. Yeah, but they the memorandums don't come to me. They don't come to you, but I am noticing Monsoon picking up some of them. Erroneously. You know why Monsoon is picking them up? And you can thank MV Realty for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, yes. MV Realty is why that is happening. So let's definitely make sure we talk about MV Realty about the iBuyers. <laughs> <laughs> and then let's not let's make sure we don't get sued. But yeah, let's talk right, about right. the iBuyers and then we'll talk about MV Realty. Okay. Yeah. I mean I'm not I'm not going to badmouth them. I mean, I I just know what's been publicly stated, stated yeah. and recorded <laughs> in our public All right. records. All right. So, iBuyers, as far as you're as far as you're aware, they're still kicking, but 
but they're not picking up or going down. The eye buyers, while they might be out there kicking tires mm -hmm. and poking around and throwing out offers, uh, at least through June, which is where I've, I'm up to date through mm -hmm. June, their market share is extremely low. Our investor activity or market share has dropped from, for eye buyers, as much as 6% market share all the way down to just less than a percent. Really? Yeah, it's very little. And we do identify. We can we can pull out open door yeah. and offer pad and all those guys. It's very, very small. Overall, when you add I buyers and landlord, affidavits of value, we're just going off affidavits of value. Um, from the peak of twenty seven percent market share, which is very high. Insane. We are now at twelve percent for landlord, mm. which is on the low side of normal. So pre pandemic level of investments. Um that's about 12 to 15% yeah. is what we would expect. When we talking about landlords, are you talking about including the hedge funds? It's how they fill out the affidavit of value, which okay. means, you know, there's there's no hedge fund category. <laughs> they can only say owner-occupant, second mm -hmm. home, landlord, and then we pull out, or we, in our company, we pull out the iBuyers separate ourselves because we can identify them. Gotcha. But uh, it just basically means I'm going to be a landlord. I'm going to put a tenant in there, or I'm going to have a second home, or I'm going to own it. Mm. And so what we've seen is now the owner-occupant percentage or market share is now above normal mm -hmm. for the overall makeup of who's buying. Which is great, considering. Which is great. That means stability, means boring, mm. right. essentially, right? Not yeah. a lot of big, bold movements, because when the regular owner-occupants are driving the bus— you're going to see stability in housing. Mm. When our crazy rich friends come to the party, <laughs> funded by Wall Street. Funded by the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's when you're going to start seeing, you know, unsustainability yeah. come in. So the fact is that most of the investments are now on the low side of normal. So I buy activity is down. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you brought up MV Realty. I did. Which is a hot button for a lot of different people. I'm sure I got PTSD or something for some people. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. So what's MV Realty? Uh, MV Realty is a company that started out of Florida, mm -hmm. and they started this program called, um, I think they called it the Homeowner Benefit. Of course it's the Homeowner Something, benefit. yeah. I forget what they called it uh, exactly, because I, I haven't talked about them in a while, actually. But essentially what it was is they would pay people, say, I don't know, $1,500, $800, $700, and in return that person would sign a promise that they would list with MV Realty at some mm. point in the next 40 years if they chose to yeah, sell. A 40-year listing agreement. Yeah, but the problem is this. It wasn't actually a listing agreement. It was a promise to sign a listing agreement that they didn't actually see. Mm -hmm. They don't know what the price is going to be. They don't know any of the, the, you know, any of the things mm -hmm. that they would be agreeing to. They're just promising that they are going to sign it, essentially. And what they would do is they'd have that notarized, and and filed as a memorandum or a cloud, mm -hmm. right? And essentially what it is for the state of Arizona, it's a private covenant. And in there had specific words that says runs with the land, mm -hmm. which means that if I signed that and I passed away, then if you were my beneficiary, you have to use MV Realty mm -hmm. now. Or if I do use MV Realty as my listing company and I sell it, the buyer then has to use MV Realty still when they sell. And so it was a covenant that ran with the land. And it shows up as a cloud for us, but in other states it would show up as a lien mm -hmm. and it would hinder people's ability to get refinances, reverse mortgages, um, if they were going into distress to modify their loans. Um, and if they forgot that they ever signed it, then it would show up in the middle of the escrow and they'd yeah. be over a barrel. And the cost to get out of it was of course, 3% of what MV Realty deemed your property value to be. Yeah. So um, it was, there's nothing being done in Arizona yeah. about that at this stage, but there have been about seven states where the AG's office has uh, instigated, and the federal government, by the way, has put a yeah. cease and desist on using the robocalling aspect of that business. What? They were robocalling. Oh, got it. And so the FCC got involved and put a cease and desist order on the companies that were facilitating the MV Realty robocalls. I don't know how this isn't like a class action lawsuit yet. Um, well, because I guess the attorneys general are on it. So right. you're looking at North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, Ohio's the newest one. 
Um, I'm trying to remember all of them. Florida, obviously. Mm -hmm. Florida was the first one out of the gate. But I know there was about seven, seven states so far have instigated so, action. So, Covenant. We don't mm -hmm. really talk about covenants, right? Is that the CCNR? Yeah. So here? the CCNRs are um, their covenants as well, but they, they're more like covenants You're not allowed to do these with things. your HOAs, yeah, you know. City. Yeah. But this is a private com covenant between two individuals. That's what they call private covenants. And in Arizona, um, the only way to get out of a private covenant to have that retracted is if all the parties agree. Mm -hmm. Well, it has to be a bilateral agreement. <laughs> Agreement, mm -hmm. but it has to have all all parties, like right. the majority of parties. So if you only have two, if right. you disagree and they agree, it, it's nothing's happening. Right. I mean, it's it's no different than like because I know we, you and I have talked privately about like memorandums, mm -hmm. right? You may not be mm -hmm. the biggest fan of them, mm -hmm. but I look at memorandums the same exact way, or a purchase contract between an investor and a homeowner the same exact way. Like a mm -hmm. realtor won't let go of a listing agreement. Mm -hmm. Requires both parties right to agree to release. But in this case, but the covenant is kind of crazy because that's not even an agreement. That's not a legal agreement. That's it goes another level. Yeah, it it goes another level because it stops title. Yeah, stops everything. And the difference is again the runs with the land side right. of things because that means that nobody's going to insure that title, mm -hmm. and it also interrupts the lender as well. Lenders won't accept it either. Yeah. Now refinances, you have to take it off. There's all kinds of rigmarole. It creates a lot of problems. And the main thing I think about it was they're not asking to buy the property. So you guys are entering into a contract that says, I am buying this property, right? right? They're not buying the property. No. <laughs> so they're not actually doing anything. And a lot of times people are having to pay them for mm. doing literally nothing. Yeah. Um, it's an IOU. For, yeah. It's an IOU for 1500 mm -hmm but you have to pay me 3% of the purchase price or yeah. the value later. And if I'm not your realtor and somebody else is your realtor, then I still need to get paid this amount of money for me to release it. Yeah. And the thing is, is they're not illegal yet. Yeah. I don't know how, I mean, we have, we can't have payday loans here anymore, mm -hmm. which I still am on the side of the payday loans, but that's a whole different mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. um, you can't do, I know we don't have any usury laws in Arizona, right? Or like excessive interest. We don't have any excessive mm -hmm. interest laws in Arizona, but it's just, they do have it in a lot of other states, right? They do, and I'm, but I'm not an expert on that stuff. So I mean, this feels like excessive interest, right? Fifteen hundred dollars up front for three yeah. percent of the purchase price later on feels like excessive interest. Um, yes, yes, um, it feels that way. But I think where where the FCC has been coming from and where a lot of the AG's offices are coming from is who they were targeting specifically. Mm. And with the robocalls, they had from the Florida, now this is, I'm not saying this as if I know, this is what the Florida lawsuit stated specifically. I read the entire lawsuit online. You can mm. go find it if you want to. But what they stated was that they were targeting people who were elderly, mm -hmm. who didn't speak the language, and didn't know what they were signing, they didn't have um, anybody explaining the documents. They just had a notary come over. Mm -hmm. Nobody explained the documents to them. They were unrepresented. Mm -hmm. And also uh, you had people in financial distress. Yeah. And so they were in I weakened states. Oh, this is very different than a lot of what. Yeah, it's, <laughs> not, a, it's not very different. But because of, again, this is a covenant. Mm -hmm. It's a promise to do something in the future. It's a promise to sign a contract that you've never seen. Is that what a covenant is? Is a promise no, to sign no, a contract? No. That's what their homeowner agreement was, mm -hmm. is that I'm promising to sign a listing agreement with you sometime between now and 40 years from now if I decide to sell, but I don't have no idea what that listing agreement says. Yeah. And so a blank, it's a blank check. Pretty much. Yeah. And so um, it's a, it's slightly different from what wholesalers do. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, yeah. So, but it looks like it. It like acts like it, but it's not. So obviously we can't hold you to this, mm -hmm. right? But like everyone's predicting interest rates are going to go down or stay flat. I don't see too many people saying interest rates can go up. Right? <laughs> there are some people. There are some people that say yeah, that. Yeah, okay. some people feel that they're going to go uh, closer to eight. Yeah. So like what are, you, what are you looking at and what is what you're looking at leading you to believe is going to happen down the road? 
Well, as you know, I actually I let other people be wrong about real estate market rates. <laughs> Typically, I don't like to uh, make any specific predictions, well, but I will time, give you a reasonable expectation. Yeah. Okay. Well, so last time we were here, you were saying you were looking at CPI a lot. Is we were looking at CPI a lot. Um, what we're looking at right now, what I'm looking at, mm -hmm. I shouldn't say we, uh, I'm looking at. Now we're going in my personal opinion, not uh, of the Crawford Report. Yeah. Um, just me is the interesting piece of this whole thing is that if we go into a recession, rates come down in recession, mm -hmm. right? So we are looking at things like the labor market, for one. The labor market is the last domino to fall. Like the labor start, market is absolutely insane. If you see unemployment for any reason go up a mm -hmm. half a point um, and consistently go up, of course, not just for one month, then that is what the National Bureau of Economic Research, who gets to call recessions, that's what they call a bona fide uh, evidence of a weakening economy. Okay. So when that happens, which is usually the last thing to happen, that's when they call recessions. Mm -hmm. So sometimes recessions happen before, or I'm sorry, mortgage rates come down before that, but or sometimes during a recession it'll come down, but almost in every recession I've looked at, rates have always come down. Mm -hmm. And right now we're in an inversion. So you hear a lot of inversion talk, which basically means your short-term treasuries are now higher than your long-term treasury. You get more mm. on your interest for a three-month or a two-year treasury than you do on a 10-year treasury. That's right. the inversion. And when the short-term rates go up, you can see the Fed funds rate goes up in response to it to try to get higher than that. Mm. But what we're seeing right now is the Fed funds rate is higher than the two-year treasury but they are not convinced that the treasury is not going to go up more. Right. So we're really at this turning point right now. Mm -hmm. The thing about that is once the Fed stop raising the Fed funds rate and the two-year treasury, once that starts to come down, that'll go down first, that's when the Fed funds rate comes down. So when that happens, and I guess many people believe that's going to happen in next year, mm -hmm. right after that is typically when we see a recession. So here's the funny thing. Funny meaning weird, not haha. -ha. <laughs> if you are a pessimist mm -hmm. and you believe that we are going to go into a recession, that we're going to have some unemployment and maybe it's going to be a soft recession, maybe it's going to be short, long, whatever, but you think we're going to go into a recession, then you also believe that rates will come down. Mm -hmm. If you are an optimist and you think we're going to have a soft fall, if you will, where we're going to see uh, the labor market stays strong. We're not going to have to deal with unemployment, blah, 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 yay. Then you actually believe rates are going to stay high. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, it's kind of like this, this confusion, if mm -hmm. you will, where we kind of want the rates to come down, but we really don't want a bad recession. Mm -hmm. But I believe from a housing standpoint that we have already gone through our recession. We've already come a long way. Mm -hmm. By the time we hit the recession, we'll be like, just get over with and get on with our lives. I mean, a lot you of know? us have been waiting for it. It's like, uh, I watched Hot Tub Time Machine again, right? Uh, very <laughs> I recently. Love that movie. And the, you remember like the part where the guy lo loses his arm, right? Uh, oh, the, I'll watch it again. Yeah, the bell hobby loses his arm anyway. Yeah. And the whole time, uh, was it Rob Cordrick or whatever his name is? He's mm -hmm. like, he's waiting for the guy to lose his arm. Like, come on, like, when's it going to happen, right? Like, this is such a tease. <laughs> kind of how I feel with this recession. Like, like, every time you look at this labor market, like, how is the market still doing good? Right. It begs belief, like, beggars believe, like, it just doesn't make sense. It's the last to respond. If you actually look at the like, labor market. It is market, the last to respond. But, yeah. like, you look at all the stats, like, everyone's credit cards maxed out. Or at least it seems like everyone's credit cards maxed out. also making more money, though. <laughs> so it's all relative. I suppose the delinquency rates on credit cards are not outrageous right now. Yeah. But the card, my understanding, the card payment delinquencies are up. Cars are. Yeah. So, yeah. So we have hints. Right. Right. Uh, we're just not there yet, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, in 2007, we had the lowest unemployment rate mm -hmm. until we had the highest unemployment rate. <laughs> yeah. 2010. Not saying that that's going to happen. But one of the things to understand about recessions is that home prices don't necessarily come down at all. Mm -hmm. In the recession from 2001 to 2002, home prices were flat. Mm -hmm. The 2008 to 2009, obviously, housing was the driver of that recession, so housing prices came down. But that wasn't a recession. That was, a, that was technically a depression. Uh, yes, they call it the Great Recession because they don't want to call it a depression because <laughs> we had one, I guess. But in 2020, 
in that recession, which was like a blink of an eye, mm-hmm. prices went up. Mm-hmm. So there is no tried and true formula for stating yeah. what housing prices are going to do other than looking at how conservative was lending up mm-hmm. until that point. And the fact is that our lending has been extremely conservative. So I'm not expecting um, any housing price adjustments mm-hmm. from whatever resulting recession we might have. But what that will mean is that there might be some opportunities in right. that time frame. Yeah. We keep waiting for it. It's not happening. I mean, like, I was so excited when COVID happened. It's like, all right. Like, <laughs> We're not wait. expecting foreclosures or short sales either. Yeah. So, well, short sales are funny, right? Because Matthew mm-hmm. Potter, right? He's someone that uh, we do a lot of business with. Mm-hmm. And he's getting short sales for us all around the country. Now, not in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. But like, it is crazy the amount of short sales that are happening around Most the Most of the short sales I'm going to gather have been owned for a short period of time. Shorter period of time, yes. So they could be people who got in to try to get into vacation rentals and mm-hmm. it didn't work out. Or it could be people that thought they were going to be there longer and it didn't work out. Um, but I don't see an avalanche. At least in Greater Phoenix, we watch and there's no... There's so much equity, you can't have an yeah, there are too many choices. Somebody, I mean, you just hint to somebody, you might go into foreclosure, you're going to be bought. Like, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll just take over your mortgage payment. No, there's really yeah. very little risk of foreclosure or short sale right now. All right. Uh, anything else interesting we haven't talked about as far as the real estate market, things to look out for? Oh, think to, like, warning signs? Just to be, signs aware, or? be aware of, like, what are you seeing around the corner? Or is it just, it's just going to be boring for the next six months? I think it's going to be boring until the next Fed's meeting um, at the end of September. Mm-hmm. You know, uncertainty always causes a bit of treading water. I feel that a lot of our buyers and sellers are just kind of in a holding pattern. Or they've opted out of the market. They're just in a, hold, they're in a holding pattern. They're watching. Mm-hmm. Trust me, they're there. They're like circling, you know. <laughs> but the, you know, the longer our rates stay where they are, uh, what we've seen are a lot of our analytics have just stopped moving. Supply has stopped dropping over the last six weeks. So we've seen a stabilization there. Mm. The Cromper market index hasn't really moved for two and a half months. So we're seeing a stabilization there. The mortgage rate hasn't moved in two and a half months. So no, nothing moving there. Yeah. And uh, we still have two one buy downs, three two one buy downs. 40% of sales are still going with a concession to the buyer. But you also now have 23% of sales going mm. over asking price. So there's a yeah. little bit of a meeting in the middle, like we had said before. Um, I'd say, I guess it's a blessing because the more things stay the same, the more people start making decisions based on that. Right. And if it starts to move again, you might pause all, you know, stun the bunnies again. <laughs> and we're going to watch to see what happens. The yeah. one thing people ask me a lot about is, is the election. Mm. So typically speaking, elections have no impact on housing yeah. unless they do something wacko and manipulate the mortgage rates. If they choose to do that, I'm sure we'll have a like, boost. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure there's no guarantee that that will happen. But the only aspect of housing that the elections affect is luxury. Yeah. Luxury is the only one that, like, leading up to uh, an election, they might hold off on decisions, mm-hmm. might slow down a little bit. And then after the election and the unknown becomes known, they start making decisions again. Yeah. And um, headlines never fail. The, the month of an election is always November. It's always the shortest month with a holiday. There's mm. not going to be a lot of closings that month. But guaranteed, there will be a journalist out there that will compare October to November and say, look at that. Sales came down month over month. It's clearly because of the election. Mm. The wrong person. Yeah. Wrong person won. Someone but needs to make it. then they're inaugurated in, what is it, January, January, February? January. And housing miraculously recovers like it does every spring and comes mm-hmm. back. And it's clearly always because the right person was elected. Clearly. <laughs> so, yeah. Regardless of who it is. It was yeah, it doesn't matter. It's just it, it's just the way the seasons are. On election day, the seasons are in the fourth quarter. That's always the best time to be a buyer. Mm-hmm. It's always the slowest period of time. And then right after the inauguration, that's when our seasonally we pick up again like crazy. So if I were to try to put any correlation to the housing market pricing or supply and demand, there really isn't yeah. anything with the elections. Gotcha. So basically boring. Boring. I know we're just a big old oil tanker. It takes too long. That's another thing with elections. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time. You have to be in a, just like with the mortgage rate increases, you have to be there for a long time sustained mm-hmm. 
for it to have any measurable impact on the marketplace. And with elections, by the time you might have any impact, it's already it's already yeah. over. I love I love boring. Yeah, <laughs> you can run a reliable business on boring. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's I one, personally, uh, no, you, you're not really interested in what I have to say when it's boring because it's like 50 first dates. You right. know? <laughs> but you you can predict what's going to happen, right? It's this mm -hmm. up and down. Now the volatility. Like volatility and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And when it's uncertainty, like the buyers are backed out, the sellers don't know what they're going to do. Is now the right time to buy? Is now the right time to sell? Mm -hmm. There's all these questions. Mm -hmm. Reliable or boring is reliable. And you can do a lot of smart things. <laughs> when That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'll go take a vacation. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. <laughs> well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you guys for watching. We'll thank see you. you guys next week. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.